Welcome to another episode of Fireside Football presented by Empire Sports Media. You're here with Brendan and Dylan as always, but we have a very special guest today for our fantasy football episode. He is the fantasy football analyst for NFL Media, and he has appeared consistently on NFL Fantasy Live, the Fantasy Live podcast, and has written numerous articles on NFL.com. He is Marcus Grant. Marcus, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you guys having me on. Hope things are good. Now, we spoke a little bit before recording about, you know, how your life has been changed a little bit from this pandemic, but I'm just curious, how has it affected your day-to-day work for the NFL? Um, yeah, for the most part, it, it, it hasn't. I will say that, you know, the benefit that the NFL has had as a league and sort of, I guess, my personal benefit uh, associated with it is that this hit during the off season. Um, so, you know, obviously we haven't been going into the office. I haven't been into the office since, you know, the middle of March, but you know, most of the things we were doing, we were sort of doing remotely. I mean, doing the draft remotely was a little bit different. Doing free agency remotely was a little bit different, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a completely upended thing. So in that respect, you know, there hasn't been a major change. Um, now what happens going forward may be a little bit different. You know, we're, we're into, you know, a, an altered sort of training camp right now. And, and the season is still on track to start on September 10th. And so, you know, we are looking at working from home for the start of the regular season, which means doing TV shows and podcasts and that sort of thing from home. So that might be a little bit different, but you know, so far so good. We've been able to kind of ease into things and, and it hasn't been terrible so far. Now, Marcus, you work for NFL Media, which is insane. So how did you get to that point? Because that's absolutely incredible. Yeah, uh, sort of by accident. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I never planned to. I, I spent a lot of time working in radio and had kind of bounced around the state of California doing sports radio in, in various forms. Um, was working in Los Angeles for a national radio network. Um, and then that job sort of went away when the company got sold and, and moved to Houston. And I was still in Los Angeles. So I had been just you know freelance writing and, and kind of working from home and looking for some jobs. And Funny story. I remember late one night, uh, it was, you know, I don't know, might have been nine, ten o'clock at night, and I was sort of restless and, and, you know, nothing on TV was interesting. So I just got up from my apartment and I took a walk and randomly just kind of walked past the NFL network. I mean, their, their offices were maybe a mile and a half from my apartment. And I just randomly walked past their, their offices and, and thought to myself, I wonder what it looks like inside there. I wonder what, what goes on inside that place. And, um, not long thereafter, a former coworker hit me up and suggested that I apply for jobs there. He had been working part-time there. He suggested I, I apply because they're always looking for people seasonally. So um, I went on the website. I applied for four or five jobs, uh, most of which I don't think I was even qualified for, but I was just looking for a, a full-time gig at that point. And you know, this, was, this was in 2011, so this was in the middle of the NFL lockout, and people weren't sure if there was going to actually be a season at that point, which is sort of weird that here we are nine years later, and people aren't sure if there's actually going to be a season again. But um, a few months went by, and I never heard anything, and I had sort of forgotten about it. And then kind of out of the blue, Michael Fabiano, uh, who was the head of fantasy at the time, called me and asked if I wanted to interview for a job. And look, man, it, it, it beat sitting on my couch, freelance writing and watching reruns of Law & Order SVU. So I, I jumped on into that, um, went to the interview. The night before the interview, I, I read 
a bunch of Fabs' columns and just sort of, you know, regurgitated his information back to him. And uh, the day the lockout ended, I remember waking up in the morning, turning on ESPN, seeing reports that the lockout was over, that there would be an NFL season. And maybe an hour or two after that, uh, Fabs called me and, and offered me the job. And that was August of 2011. So uh, we're, we're starting my ninth year. This would be season number 10 for me if this happens. So it, uh, it has, it, like I said, I never expected to be here. I never really planned on it, but it's been a, an interesting and fun ride so far. That's awesome. Now getting into your forte a little bit here with fantasy football, the Pittsburgh Steelers underwent a pretty big change in terms of last season having to navigate without their star quarterback, Big Ben. So with him coming back, how do you see his value being at this year? And then also their skill position players with guys like, as you highlighted in your recent article, Juju Smith or Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, kind of looking at that. Yeah, I mean, Ben being back is he's kind of the centerpiece of what that offense is. And we saw that last year when he got hurt and, and they tried Mason Rudolph and they tried Duck Hodges and neither one of those guys really did much in the way of production for them. So um, Ben being healthy, is important you know, for everybody, for Juju, for Deontay Johnson, for all those guys that, that you talked about. And, and right now, for fantasy purposes, I mean, he's he's setting up as a potential great bargain. Um, the quarterback position is really deep, so you can wait until the later rounds and still have a lot of talented options available for you if you're going to draft him. And, and Ben is one of those right now where you can wait until you know the double-digit rounds, and he's still going to be available in a lot of leagues. And I think the fear right now is just it's about health for him um he's had a surgically repaired elbow and this is a guy who has taken a lot of bumps and bruises throughout the the course of his career he's getting up there in age uh it's definitely on the the back side of his career and so i think that's kind of the big concern but the last time we saw him in a fully healthy season he was a top five even top three fantasy quarterback and, and if he gets back to even close to that and he's delivering the ball to Juju to, to Deontay Johnson to James Washington we can't really forget about him you mentioned Chase Claypool uh, there's a lot of upside there now the the drawback is if he gets hurt again then all this sort of falls apart and, and it was a surprise I think to me and to a lot of people that the Steelers didn't pursue another quarterback uh, to be a backup. I mean, it, it seemed signed, sealed, and delivered that Jameis Winston was going to go there once the Bucks decided to cut ties, and it just made sense. They didn't do that. So I think there's just that fear uh, with the, the Steelers skill position guys that if Ben gets hurt, everything sort of goes sideways again. Uh, because we, we saw the Rudolph and Hodges show, and you know nobody liked how that ended. <laughs> So going to another quarterback here that you spoke about one of your recent articles, uh, Drew Locke, you mentioned him as being a potential sleeper this upcoming season, but with additions to an already okay offense with Cortland Sutton and Philip Lindsay, now they add Melvin Gordon and Jerry Judy, how do you see him producing this season fantasy-wise? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a he's kind of a deep sleeper, and I think... You know, I think there's hype around him and there's excitement potentially around him. But I think for, for fantasy purposes, his greater production might even be 2021 and beyond. But I'll say this. The, the Broncos have gone all in on him, right? John Elway has decided that he is their quarterback of the future. And he's got weapons now, right? I mean, Cortland Sutton had something of a breakout season last year. But you mentioned the guys they bring in. They go get Jerry Judy. They draft K.J. Hamler. Um, they, they draft Albert Okoyabunam, uh, Albert O to most of us, 
uh, who he's going to split time with Noah Fant, but that's another young, talented skill position guy that they've got there. You talk about adding Melvin Gordon to go along with Philip Lindsay in that backfield. So there aren't going to be a lot of excuses for Drew Locke. Like he's going to have to step up and show that he can be the guy in, in relatively short order. But again, you come back to the fact that the quarterback position is still pretty deep. Um, so I don't know that a lot of fantasy folks are going to go reaching for Drew Locke, out, especially outside of two quarterback leagues. But I think if you play in dynasty leagues, leagues that have more of a, a longer view of things, uh, Locke's a guy that's going to have some interest because if he really does turn out to be the guy there in Denver, um, there could be a long period of him being a very productive fantasy option. Yeah, I know for myself, at least, I'm always one of the last people in my leagues to draft a quarterback, so Drew Locke's definitely going to be on my radar. But sticking with the Broncos here, with Phillip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon now in the same backfield, if someone were looking to draft a running back and both of those names are available, who do you see as the bigger win there at a draft position? I mean, I still think it's Melvin Gordon, right? Like, I don't think they bring him in as a free agent and pay him that kind of money to, you know, to, to basically put him in, you know, make him a secondary option. Um, so I think he's going to be the guy who gets the majority of the opportunities there. But I say that I don't think Philip Lindsay completely goes away. I don't think he, he just fades out of view. I mean, this is a guy who was an undrafted free agent, uh, comes in and has a couple of thousand yard seasons right off the bat. He is too talented and has been too productive to just completely fade away. So my, my fear with the Broncos offense with their running game is that it turns into a hot hand situation where you know, if, if on a particular day it's Philip Lindsay that ends up you know, running well and Melvin Gordon maybe just can't get going, then it ends up being Lindsay who takes the majority of the snaps and leaves Gordon sitting on the sideline. And those are the kind of things that it's hard to predict sometimes. Sometimes it just happens and you don't necessarily know when. So that that is a potential fear, potential frustration. But I still think that if you're if you're forced to choose between the two, Melvin Gordon is the one I think that has uh, a bit bigger upside in that backfield. Now talking about quarterbacks a little bit more, and one thing that kind of caught my eye recently with NFL Top 100 was. Patrick Mahomes being ranked at number four, Lamar one, and Wilson two. So looking at the way they were ranked, or Wilson three, uh, nonetheless, the way they were ranked, I'm a guy who drafts quarterbacks early, unlike Brendan, but when looking at them, who do you kind of pinpoint as maybe the best of the three in terms of fantasy value, and how did you think they should have been ranked in terms of the top 100? Um, you know, I think if, in terms of fantasy, well, I'll start, I'll start with the, in the, the rankings in the top 100. I mean, I, I think Mahomes should have been number one. Um, but saying that, I don't, I don't think it's outrageous that Lamar Jackson uh, got that number one spot considering what he did and the way he just turned the league upside down last year. Um, I don't think it's a completely ridiculous, ridiculous voting process there. Um, but I think I probably would have voted Mahomes number one because I think he really is going to redefine, I think, the position for you know, at least the next decade or so. Uh, and I put, I, I think, of the three, I think Russ is third, and I don't, but I don't think that's an insult. Um, I think, I think Russell Wilson is a guy that has sort of been weirdly, if you could say Russell Wilson has been underrated, then, then that might be true because it just feels like we sort of take him for granted as football fans that Russ is just going to do Russ things and, and, you know, life's going to go on. Um, as, as for fantasy, uh, if you're going to get one early, and I said this last year, if you're going to get one early, get a great one. Uh, 
last year when I said that, I was thinking more about Patrick Mahomes coming off a 50-touchdown season. I certainly I certainly didn't think that Lamar Jackson was going to run for over 1,000 yards like he did last year. But, um, you know, I think he's another one. I think, yeah, I think it's a, honestly a coin flip, and it's kind of a personal preference whether you want Mahomes or Lamar Jackson first. But both those guys are coming off the board in the fairly early rounds. I mean, depending on, on what kind of league you're in, um, you know, super flex leagues, two QB leagues, those guys are first round picks, even in more standard, more traditional leagues. Uh, those guys are getting drafted probably in the, the third round or so. So I, I think you can't really go wrong with either one. They, they play the position very differently from one another, but they are both incredibly productive and they are both the, the centerpieces of very good offenses. So I think, like I said, if you're going to get one early, get a good one. And so that basically kind of limits you to those two guys that are sort of in their own tier when it comes to fantasy quarterbacks. Now, aside from Mahomes um, and the Chiefs, who have three, uh, two other great fantasy options in Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, the one player on the Chiefs that sticks out to me is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, their rookie running back, because Damian Williams recently opted out of the season. So it's kind of Williams' backfield now to control. And you know, I think especially for PPR, I think he could be a really good pick. Uh, do you agree, or where do you see Hilaire fitting in for the running backs this season? Yeah, no, I do. Um, I will say that when when the Chiefs were on the clock at the end of the first round, yeah, I think myself and a lot of other people felt like, you know, it'd be kind of fun for the Chiefs to take a running back here. Like, I didn't think they would actually do it, but I'm like, hey, it'd be kind of fun. And they took they took Edwards Hilaire, and fantasy Twitter sort of lost its mind for uh, about a week or so. I will say that I. I have a skepticism about me. I, I am kind of a fantasy skeptic. And so I approach CEH with maybe a little more hesitation than some other people do. I think he's a guy that I would love if I could draft him in the, the early to mid second round, but that's just not possible. Um, it was hard enough to do that when Damian Williams was still there. Uh, now that Williams has opted out, the hype for CEH has just gone off the charts and you know people are drafting him in the middle of the first round kind of later part of the first round i've seen drafts i saw a draft recently where somebody took him as number one overall over christian mccaffrey which if i'm sitting in the number two spot i am thanking the fantasy football gods that you let christian mccaffrey fall back to me at, at the second spot uh so i i feel like i won't have edwards Alaire on any of my fantasy teams because i just i can't put my finger on what it is but something about this just it seems ripe for disappointment that Andy Reid's going to do something to break our hearts. That he's going to you know, either sign another running back or start using somebody else in a in a larger capacity than we anticipated, um, and so that it just won't be there. So look, I've been wrong before, and if somebody takes Edwards Hilaire like at the the fifth or sixth pick, and he turns out to to you know explode and have a great season, hey, good on you, and I will tip my hat and, and say that I, I got it wrong. But I just have a feeling that something's going to happen and he's just not going to return that first round value that you're hoping for. Like I said, if I could get him in the second round, I'd be over the moon for it. But I just know that at this point, that ship has probably sailed. Now, it's funny, you kind of beat me uh, to my next question here. I was going to ask if McCaffrey was a Sherlock for the number one pick, and it seems like he probably is. So if you are sitting at that second spot, who do you recommend taking behind McCaffrey? I, I do think it's Saquon Barkley. 
Um, you know, and I know that for people who drafted Saquon last year, a lot of people drafted Saquon number one overall last year, which I, I, I was a McCaffrey guy, but I had no problems with Saquon at number one. And I know that for those folks, they were probably a little frustrated because like he had the high ankle sprain. It sort of limited him, limited him for a, a lot of, a lot of the season late in the year. He kind of turned it on and looked like the Saquon that people were drafting. But I think, you know, if that is behind him and he's back to being healthy again, I mean, he is maybe the definition of a workhorse. There's nobody else in that Giants backfield you have to worry about taking any opportunities from him. He's going to get a ton of targets. Uh, He will get plenty of touchdowns. He's a big play machine. Uh, Maybe not quite as many touches as Christian McCaffrey got last year, but uh, I think that, that he is a solid number two option. I guess if you want to really... Uh, be outside the box and since most people play in PPR leagues now maybe you can try to make an argument with me for for Michael Thomas but I still think Saquon's the better pick there now looking at fantasy value of different groups I have always been a proponent of throwing the dart I guess blindly at rookies because you never know which ones could hit so a guy like Terry McLaurin last year and AJ Brown became superstar wide receivers maybe not superstar but very talented wide receivers so in this year's class you know a big influx of wide receivers running backs you know talented skill position players who could make a fantasy impact so are there guys you're pinpointing in this class and if so a few and then also how do you kind of grade rookie fantasy value yeah I mean look with rookies it is about opportunity right I mean you can have all the talent in the world but if you're not getting that opportunity if you're not getting those snaps uh, getting those targets or touches then then it doesn't really mean quite as much Uh, I will say that this year is sort of a different year I mean in a lot of respects right we're all dealing with this pandemic we're all sort of uh, kind of adjusting our lives to it and the NFL is really no different so because of that we haven't had yeah, obviously haven't had mini camps we haven't had OTAs so all these rookies that in past years would have a chance to get on the field learn the playbook work with their teammates that sort of thing that hasn't really happened so far this year and so I think that's going to make it hard to evaluate rookies and I think that's going to make it hard for some of these guys to make an impact at least in the early part of the season now that being said I think there are a couple of rookie wide receivers especially you talk about the the wide receivers there are a couple of guys that I really like Um, one is Justin Jefferson in Minnesota and again a lot of that is is about the opportunity because he walks into a situation where Stefan Diggs leaves to go to Buffalo and vacates a whole lot of targets, right? I mean, Adam Thielen can't take all of those things. Um, I, I don't know that there's another wide receiver that I'm really concerned about, whether it's B.C. Johnson or Tajay Sharp. They don't really worry me so much. I don't think Kyle Rudolph is going to just hoover up all these targets, neither he nor Irv Smith. So there's a chance for Justin Jefferson to come in there, and even on a fairly run-heavy team like the Vikings expect to be, I still think there's a chance for him to pick up you know, 80, 90 targets so far this year and really be a productive guy. The other guy that I've really warmed up to in the last few weeks has been Jalen Rieger down in, uh, over in Philadelphia, just mostly because, again, the opportunity, right? I, I wouldn't have liked him so much maybe a couple of months ago when it looked like you know, Deshaun Jackson is back and, and we'll see if he's healthy, when Alshon Jeffrey looked like he was going to be back in a bigger part of the offense. Uh, when when I thought maybe J.J. Ortega-Whiteside had a chance to, to you know, pick up and do better than he did last year. But, you know, you never really know about Jackson's health, right? Alshon Jeffries on the pup list could end up missing the start of the season, depending on what his situation is going to be. Uh, and and look, I, 
in I guess it's somewhere deep down in my heart, I still think maybe there's a chance for Arcega Whiteside to, to develop into something, but who knows? Either way, Rager is going to have an opportunity to get on the field maybe more than we expected early in the season. And for a team in Philadelphia that is is hungry for healthy, productive wide receivers. I mean, I think by the by the end of the season, um, I felt like they were running out the gang from it's always sunny in Philadelphia out there to, to, to catch passes for them because they had so many injuries. Uh, I think Rieger has an opportunity maybe early in the year to, to play a bigger role in Philadelphia than we had originally anticipated. Now, Brendan and I cover the New York Jets for Empire Sports Media, so there may be a little bit of lean when I ask this, but how do you see Denzel Mims making a fantasy impact? Because I noticed you didn't mention him there. Yeah, so here's the thing with the Jets, right? I feel like every conversation I have about the Jets with fantasy is always prefaced with the... the uh, the phrase yeah but you know there's adam gates right because i think that's just how everybody sort of feels about it right and i look i say this as a guy i'm a usc alum i am a usc homer i want to see my trojans do well and i want the best for sam darnold um but it's just like we sort of look at that offense and we look at adam gates and it just it just it makes us all frustrated and depressed from a fantasy perspective and i think mims is sort of he sort of falls into that right i think he's a talented guy i think you know he he has the opportunity he has the the, the ability to be a big playmaker but it's just watching people sort of suffocate in that offense and i think i think it was even more uh notable last year when you see you know Ryan Tannehill uh Devontae Parker Kenyon Drake just to name a few guys who have gotten away from Adam Gase went to other places and ended up being really successful. Um, like I said, I know you guys cover the Jets, but there's a part of me that sort of wants them to trade Le'Veon Bell away because I want him back in my fantasy life again. Like I want <laughs> Le'Veon Bell to be a productive uh, fantasy running back again. And so, you know, I think, again, throw in the fact that rookies are, are sort of, you know, the, the learning curve is steeper this year because they haven't had as many opportunities. Throw in the fact that it's an Adam Gase offense that just hasn't been able to get out of its own way. I think the deck is sort of stacked against Denzel Mims, but I will say that it's, I don't think it's his fault. I just think the circumstances are, are going to make it tough for him this year. Well, hopefully for a fantasy standpoint and as a fan uh, standpoint, I hope Denzel Mims has a good season, <laughs> but Staying with another AFC East player here, what are your feelings about Cam Newton this upcoming season, who's coming back from injury, getting another chance to start as quarterback, but do you see him making a really big impact in fantasy like he Well, first off, it seems like you know half the Patriots have opted out <laughs> to this point in the season. Uh, every time I look up, it feels like another Patriots player is opting out. I think if, if Cam is healthy, I think he does have a chance to be an impactful player. I mean, when, when he has been completely healthy and at his best, this is a guy who is a, easily a top 10, top 5 at times fantasy quarterback. Uh, I know it, it seems like it's been forever since he's been completely healthy. But essentially, for all intents and purposes, he had all of last year off. Uh, and I, so I think that's going to help. If he goes back to sort of running the football the way he did, and maybe not as much as he did early in his career, because he's he has definitely taken a lot of physical abuse from that. But if he goes back to, to running the football, uh, especially if he's the goal line back that he was in Carolina, I mean, anybody who had Jonathan Stewart or D'Angelo Williams for years in Carolina was frustrated by the fact that uh, Cam Newton was the de facto goal line back. And, and I think that that might happen again uh, in, in New England with him. That will certainly boost his upside. I'm not so worried about the Patriots pass catchers right now. Cam didn't have a lot of great receivers uh, in, in 
Carolina. He had Steve Smith early in his career before Smith left. Uh, he had one really good year of Kelvin Benjamin, um, who before he just sort of faded into oblivion. Uh, and beyond that, I mean, you know, it was like Devin Funchess. It was just a bunch of guys that were sort of, you know, meh at best. So I think, you know, between Julian Edelman, uh, if Nikhil Harry can, can really take a step forward this year, uh, I think there are some opportunities for Cam to get guys the football. So I think, you know, I, I think where you're drafting him at the very end of drafts, uh, there's not a lot of risk involved for you. And, and if he turned out to be the guy that we saw some of those years in Carolina, there's a whole lot of upside in potentially making him a great steal in drafts. Now, you talked about the Patriots right there a little bit with Cam Newton, and you talked about continuity earlier with the lack of a preseason and training camp because of COVID, and now the the Patriots defense, which was number one in fantasy value last year, got depleted without Dante Hightower and Patrick Chung with them opting out. So looking at defenses this year and as a whole, how do you kind of value defenses, and what are some teams that you're looking at this year as could be a makeup for the Patriots maybe falling off. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny because of all the changes we've seen in fantasy drafting and all the, the theories that have come up, uh, the one thing that remains constant is still like most folks kind of wait till the end to pick their defenses because I think you end up kind of streaming the position a whole lot. If you are going to sort of make that investment, though, uh, in a fantasy draft for a defense, I think the Steelers are maybe going to be the, the most popular option for a, a lot of people. I think they're one that you're going to see come off the board early. The 49ers are going to be another defense that that you're going to see come off the board fairly early in a lot of drafts. I still think the Patriots um, will have some value. Obviously, not as much as you mentioned with the opt-outs and and just you know losing Dante Hightower. There's no way around it. That's a huge loss for that defense. So I, I still think the Patriots will have some value. They won't be as great as they were last year. But the thing about it is, again, for a lot of fantasy managers, you're sort of playing the matchups and you're streaming. So it's very rare that I think you see somebody draft a defense and then they just kind of ride with that defense all year long. Um, What we saw from the Patriots last year was kind of an anomaly. So if you just sort of look at schedules and sort of try to to match it up that way, I think you'll, you'll kind of be fine. And I just want, I generally just want for my defense, you don't have to win the week for me just don't lose the week right like I just don't want negative points coming out of my defense because they got lit up by an opposing offense uh if you give me you know eight to ten points then that's great just just don't submarine my week with a terrible terrible performance yeah for me with defense I always have the worst luck I always pick a team that's been hot and then when I take them they give me negative points (laughs) so Not my strong suit there, but moving away from defense, I want to talk to you about wide receivers because there's a couple new wide receivers in new places that I think could be impacted greatly by their new destinations. One is uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who was the number four wide receiver last year in fantasy, and he's now in Arizona with Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk potentially taking targets, yards and touchdowns away from him. So do you see DeAndre Hopkins status as the number four wide receiver dropping staying the same i think he's gonna stay about the same i mean maybe he maybe he falls a spot or two but i don't i don't think it's gonna be anything drastic um like i don't i don't think he will see quite the same number of targets in arizona that he did for all those years in houston but i also don't think it's going to 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 be a dramatic difference because look man you're talking about arguably one of the best wide receivers in the in the nfl right now um 
so they brought him in. They are going to utilize him as much as possible. They're going to get the football in his hands and allow him to make plays. So I, I still am drafting him as one of the top three or four fantasy receivers off the board. I would expect that by the end of the year, he will produce like one of the top three or four fantasy receivers off the board. So like I said, if, if, if he falls and you see him at, at five or six, um, you know, that might not be a surprise. I don't think it's anything to panic about, but I think I think overall his status will stay about where it has been all this time. Now, another guy I have here is Stephon Diggs, who you mentioned briefly earlier when talking about Justin Jefferson. Diggs was the number 23 wide receiver last year across fantasy platforms, and he joins a Bills team that was led by John Brown at the receiver position last year, who was four spots ahead of him at number 19. So do you see Diggs overtaking John Brown, I'm guessing, as the number one wide receiver? I think that's kind of a given, but do you see Diggs as one of the top 10, potentially top 15 receivers in fantasy? No, I think he's just outside the top 15. I think I think top 20 is probably a little more realistic for Stefan Diggs. Um, yeah, I, I think he will see more targets in Buffalo than he did in Minnesota. Uh, that, that offense, the passing game just tended to sort of lean toward Adam Thielen a little bit, and that was, that was partially because Thielen – ran the kind of routes uh, that Kirk Cousins liked to throw. Uh, so that, that just sort of worked in his favor there. But I do think in Buffalo, as you said, he, he will become the number one wide receiver ahead of John Brown. I think he gets more targets. The hope is that they are high-quality targets because the, the knock, obviously, on Josh Allen has been his accuracy issues there. So you hope that they're high-quality targets. But the thing about Diggs is that he is really great with the ball in his hands. After the catch... Uh, he tends to be very effective, able to make guys miss, able to break tackles. So that certainly gives him some upside there. But I, I don't know that, that this is going to be a high volume enough offense for him to jump into the top 15. But I think if you're drafting him as maybe a second or certainly a third wide receiver, you're going to feel really good about it. Um, but but I, think, I think top 15, certainly top 10, I think I, I can't imagine top 15 is, is maybe stretching it a little bit for me. Okay, now I have to ask about this guy, Prashad Perriman, new wide receiver for the Jets. He was the 50th wide receiver last year, and you don't seem very high on Denzel Mims, so do you see Perriman in the same area as him, or do you see Perriman outplaying him a little bit in the fence? I mean, I think Perriman outplays him a little bit, just because I think veterans, uh, guys who've been in the league for a couple of years, have an advantage over the rookies this year. Um, I mean, with Perriman... The way he finished the season was amazing last year, and I'm sure there are plenty of, of fantasy managers around who will tell you that Prashad Perriman uh, helped them either helped them win a championship or at least got them deep into the playoffs and got them in position uh, to to win a fantasy championship. But the thing about that is it took it took a slew of injuries in Tampa for him to get on the field consistently in the first place, right? It took Chris Godwin and Mike Evans going down with season-ending injuries for Perriman to get those those opportunities. And it also took playing with a quarterback like Jameis Winston, who was great at just throwing YOLO balls, right? When everything else broke down, he would just stand back there, say YOLO, and throw it up and hope that his guys could make a play. Um, I, I don't know that that's going to happen in in New York. I mean, look, let's, let's remember, Rashad Perriman was a first-round pick of the Baltimore Ravens once upon a time. And it just never really panned out for him there in Baltimore. He bounced around and, and it took some really extraordinary circumstances for him to get those opportunities. Just the body of work has not been there consistently enough for me to really trust Brashad Perriman. But if you're asking me which Jets receiver I'm going to pick, it's going to be Perriman right now over, over Mims.
Now, one guy, when Brendan and I have covered over the last few weeks each division, one guy that's kind of really stuck out to me with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins and the changing of the offense and a year of continuity now under his belt has been Kyler Murray. Are you high on him as well to take like a Lamar Jackson-esque jump, or do you see him still kind of holding the similar value to what he had last year? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think the consensus has been that if there's one guy to take the Lamar Jackson-type jump, it's going to be Kyler Murray. There's one big difference, right, is that you know, everybody who won a championship or got far into their seasons with Lamar Jackson, part of it was because you were able to draft Jackson really late. You were able to get him in the you know 11th, 12th, 13th round, and then he blossomed into something spectacular, and, and that was kind of amazing. The problem with Kyler Murray is that, you know, a lot of us, and I'm certainly, you know, guilty of it, a lot of us who had this belief that he's the next one, uh, we started thinking that of him in December, in January. So any draft discount you could have gotten on him vanished immediately. Like, it just never existed. I mean, we were we were in January, February, just after the Super Bowl, and Kyler Murray's ADP uh, was, like, spiking in the fourth round already. So... It, it, there is the potential for him to have something close to that level of production. Like I don't, I don't think he's going to be a twelve hundred yard runner. Like I just, I don't see that from Kyler Murray. Um, but you have to spend a lot more in your drafts to get him. So that means that you're missing out maybe on other places, on other positions, or other players somewhere on your roster. So I, I think the potential is there for him to be a top five fantasy quarterback if if the dominoes fall right for him this year. Uh, the, the question is whether or not you want to spend what is now probably a fifth or sixth round pick in order to get him. That's the calculus you have to make. Like when I said earlier, you know, if you're going to take a quarterback early, take a really good one. I don't know that Kyler Murray has reached that elite tier yet. He hasn't reached that, that Mahomes or Jackson status to make it worth taking him that early in the draft for what the potential you know, return is going to be. I think you know, if you're getting to that part of the draft, I would rather – you know, maybe wait a little bit later and see if I can get a quality quarterback late in the draft. Now, I want to ask you about some sleepers here. So we spoke about Drew Locke a little bit earlier, but a guy that I have as a potential sleeper is Devontae Parker, who it's kind of funny mentioning him as a sleeper because he was the number 10 wide receiver last year. And now with Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson both opting out for the Dolphins, that kind of leaves him as the guy in terms of wide receiver points for fantasy. So I don't know if you see him as a sleeper as well, or do you have any specific sleepers that you see as guys to target in the late? Uh, Yeah. You know, I think my thing with Parker is one, you know, we had been waiting for years for Devontae Parker to finally have that breakout. And it finally happened last year after waiting for like four or five years for it to happen. Uh, So that was exciting. The caveat that I have is it came after Preston Williams got hurt. For the first seven or eight weeks of the season when they were playing side-by-side, side, their numbers were pretty even, and they were, you know, they were fine. They weren't great. They were, they were fine. Um, it was after Williams got hurt that Parker sort of took off. Now, yeah, I guess you can look at it as it's a double-edged sword, right? On the one hand, uh, Preston Williams is going to be back. And so that is sort of going to you know, force them to, to compete with each other for those opportunities. But as you mentioned, with uh, Wilson gone, with Hearns gone, um, that means that both those guys will probably be on the field a little bit more. So I guess, I guess there is some upside there. I haven't been willing to reach for Parker where you have to take him in like the fifth, sixth, maybe seventh round. I tended to want to wait uh, 
and get Preston Williams, who is going a few rounds later. Now, that's obviously going to change. Parker's ADP is going to go up. Williams ADP is going to go up. So that's something to, to kind of keep in mind. I, I think he can do it again. I think I think I don't think it matters who the quarterback is, whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tua Tagovailoa. I think I think both those guys will get the ball to Parker, especially because uh, their pass catching options are going to be limited. I just again I, I go back to being a fantasy skeptic, so that kind of makes me uh, a little bit hesitant to draft him where he is. I would I would rather take the chance later in the draft on Preston Williams and hope I'm not spending as much in draft capital to get similar production. Now, I've got one more question for you here to wrap this up. Are there any big-name players that you think people should try to stay away from in drafts because they might not produce where they want, i.e. Le'Veon Bell with the Jets his first Yeah, season? I mean, with Lev's one that I'm, I'm just concerned about. I sort of explained why. Um, the guy that, that really sort of worries me this year is, uh, is, is Amari Cooper. Um, and not so much because of the overall. It's just the week-to-week. Like, the... the the highs for Amari Cooper are very high. The lows are incredibly low, um, and that is that's what sort of scares me with, with him. Um, so, like where you have to get him, where you have to take him, I think you're, you're talking about getting him in the, the, the second round, early to mid second round. Uh, I'm not really down with that. Uh, I, I would look if I'm looking at a, a Dallas Cowboys receiver. I'm looking at Michael Gallup, who looked great last year, who I think has uh, a very high ceiling potentially, and who is coming off the board in like the eighth or ninth round. So Cooper is one that I've definitely stayed away from, just because I'm not willing to ride that roller coaster with him on a weekly basis. All right, Marcus, well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise a little bit on fantasy football. I definitely needed it. Um, For anyone listening, if you haven't given Marcus a follow on Twitter already, go ahead and do that and catch him on Fantasy Football Live, the Fantasy Live podcast, and all of his articles on NFL.com are definitely worth the read. 